Good evening to everyone. Good to see you. Glad that you're here. I know this is the second Sunday night, and usually Titus preaches on the second Sunday night, but he was kind enough to switch uh, with me. So if you were here to hear Titus tonight, sorry to disappoint you. <laughs> uh, uh, my sister and brother-in-law have been coming for the last several months on the second Sunday night to hear Titus, and they texted me today and said uh, they'd see me at 5, and I told them, well, I was preaching tonight, and... Uh, Tanya was cooking my birthday dinner after church. They're welcome to come and then stay with us. She texts back and said they just didn't believe they could make it tonight. Uh, even couldn't even lure them here with breakfast, you know, breakfast supper because I was preaching. So uh, I guess that was a compliment to you, Titus. Good job. <laughs> uh, no, I don't blame him. I really like to hear Titus too. And I was listening to John as he was talking last Sunday night uh, after Titus's lesson about how many uh, people we have that do such a good job here. And I tell you, I... Center Grove is, is different than any congregation that I've ever ever been a part of just simply because there's so many talented and willing people here at this congregation to do uh, the things that they can do for the Lord, and we really appreciate that. Um, have you ever uh, played one of those games? You know, it's got the claw and it's got the stuffed animals or toys in there, and you see some prize and you... you uh, try to use your skill with this claw to be able to get it. Well, there was a story some time back uh, of this little six-year-old boy who seen something in there that he really wanted, and he tried and he tried and he tried to get that toy, and he just couldn't do it. It'd get part of the way up, and it'd fall off. It'd get part of the way up, and it would fall off. So he decided, he got so frustrated and aggravated that he'd just crawl in there and get it. Well, he got part of the way in there and got stuck. Uh, the fire department had to come and get him and get him unstuck. And they, they asked him, what, what caused you to want to crawl in there like that? And he said, I got so frustrated at the game because I couldn't get the toy that I wanted. And I, I thought about that when I heard about that story. Have you ever got that frustrated? Have you got so frustrated over something, you did something, and when you did it, you immediately thought, I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't let my frustration take me to a point to where... I did something that I regret, or I did something that I wished I hadn't have done. Uh, the sermon tonight is going to deal with that, with frustration. I don't know about you, I get frustrated from time to time. Uh, I get frustrated at several different things. So a lot of times it's at my own self. Uh, but sometimes we deal with frustration. And here's how uh, the dictionary defines frustration. It says, the feeling of being upset or annoyed especially because of inability to change or achieve something. Then they put it in a sentence like this, I sometimes feel like screaming with frustration. Others define frustration as uh, compared to anger. Anger is like setting off an explosion of emotion. So when you get so frustrated, it's like this slow burn that builds up and builds up. And if you let frustration take a hold of you, what happens? It explodes. It becomes anger. It becomes you get mad. You get uh, you just kind of explode, and you find yourself in the middle of something or doing something uh, that you regret, that you shouldn't have done because you let your frustration get the better of you. And that's going to be our text tonight. We find Moses had been leading the Israelites through the wilderness for for nearly forty years, and it seemed like every time he turned around. They were complaining, they were murmuring, they were upset. And I think Moses finally got to a point to where he let his frustration with this kind of explode. 
He did something that was out of character. He did something that he wished he hadn't have done. He did something that he regretted and that he had to suffer the consequences because of it. And it all come down to frustration. He got frustrated with the people. He got frustrated with the situation. And he just let that pressure and that frustration, I believe, in this moment, get the better of him. But when you see uh, the children of Israel, when, when they turn around at every seemed like every moment they had something to complain about. They had, or they felt like they had something to complain. It didn't matter what was happening. And, and when I think about this, and I see scriptures about all the complaining that they did, you know, I think, would I have been in the middle of that? Would I have been some of the ones that were complaining? Would I have been the ringleader of it? Or I, would I have been a follower of it? Would I just follow the crowd that was complaining? Or would I be the one that was leading the complaints? You know, you think about what they went through in Egypt. You think about what they faced. You think about the hardships and how long they cried out to God. And God said, I heard them. I'm answering that prayer. I I heard them cry out to me. And and he answers that. And and he brings them out. And they've seen the plagues. They've seen all the judgments that God brought on the gods of Egypt there, uh, of their idols and things. They've seen everything that he did. And they get out in the wilderness... And notice some of the things of how they reacted to it. When they reached the Red Sea with the Egyptian chariots behind them, here's what they said. In Exodus 14, beginning at verse 11, Because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you so dealt with us to bring us up out of Egypt? Is this not the word that uh, we told you in Egypt, saying, Let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. So after crying out to God, now maybe there were some in the group that were crying out to God. Maybe there's some in the group that were still trusting in God. But there's some here that's leading this charge and complaining and said, Didn't we tell you to leave us alone? Who told them to leave them alone? They were crying out to God, Help us. Here, here, here's what we're facing, here's what we're going through, we need help. And now they get into a situation after they've seen everything that they've saw. And now they're saying, what'd you do, just bring us out here to die? Did they actually think God was going to do all of that to bring them to a place to die? But notice who they're saying this to. They're saying it to Moses, isn't it? Did you bring us out? We told you, you brought us out here to die. We told you to leave us alone and leave us in Egypt. So it starts from the very beginning, they start complaining to them. Now later they complain about the food they ate. Look in Exodus 16. It says, Then the whole congregation of Israel, uh, uh, the children of Israel, complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said to them, Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the pots of meat and when we ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Now they had to face making all of these bricks without the materials that they needed to do it. They, 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 they put this heavy burden on them and all they're thinking about is sitting by the fire and eating to their field. They said, oh, we had it made. This is like you know, uh, being in a resort. We were just here. We were just getting fed. Everything was fine. And you brought us out here to die. We had all this food, we had all of this in Egypt, and now we're facing with this. Again, they're forgetting where they come from. They forgetted, we're forgetting from the bondage in which God brought them out of. 
And I think that's as we go through this, we can see a lot of times this happens to us as Christians. We forget the darkness, the bondage. We forget what we were a part of when things seem to get tough. But they're complaining because of, uh, because of food. Then they complained about water, Exodus 17, beginning at verse 2. It says, Therefore the people contended with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. So Moses said to them, Why do you contend with me? Why do you tempt the Lord? And the people thirst, uh, 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 thirsted there for water. And the people complained against Moses and said, Why is it you have brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord, saying, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. Who, they, who are they blaming for this? They're blaming Moses. They're, they're looking at Moses, and, and it's over again. Look what you've done. You brought us out here, we're starving. Now we're going to thirst, now we're going to die. Why did you bring us out of Egypt? Do you think Moses may be thinking this time, Why did I? I, I should have left a bunch of you in Egypt, what I should have done. You know, this is what I should have done. If this is the way you're going to act, I should have left you there. I mean, I can just imagine and kind of feel the tension of Moses, of this building up. Because notice, he cries out to God, What shall I do with these people? They're almost ready to stone me. Now, think about the position that Moses is in. He's trying to serve God. Remember, at the very beginning, he gave God every excuse that he could think of why he wasn't the man for the job. He didn't want the job, did he? But God told him he was able to do it, he was capable of doing it, and he was responsible for doing it because he had the ability, he had the opportunity, and God placed this before him. So he was able to do it. But now that he's, I guess he's looking back thinking, well, facing Pharaoh was the easy part. Now I've got to deal with all these people. So he's having to face this, he's having to go through this, and every time he turns around, these individuals are complaining to him. I'm hungry, I'm thirsty, what are we going to do? We're going to die, our livestock's going to die. You know, it's just something all the time. Not one time did it say to go to, oh, we're so thankful for what you've done. Oh, we know God's going to take care of us. It may look bleak at the moment, but we trust in God. That's not happening here. But, but notice, that's what God is doing for these people. He, I believe he's putting them in positions to where they have to fully trust him. They have to depend on him. That's what his children should do, shouldn't it? That, that's what he's building this nation for, is to trust in him. And it's not going very well here. And we're going to see the consequences of that. But look at it from the standpoint of Moses. Moses is having to hear this day after day after day after day after day. Every problem that comes up. Now this isn't the only problems. They brought a lot of things to Moses over the times. And he just got where he just felt overwhelmed with it. But here, every time they're faced with something, they look to Moses. You're the one. You're the one that brought us here. You're, you're the one that did this. You're the one that, all this. So each time, they're coming uh, before Moses. Now, when they're about to enter the promised land, notice what they do. Numbers 14 and 2. And all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron. And the whole congregation said to them, If only we had died in the land of Egypt... Or if only we had died in this wilderness. Oh, just kill me. Oh, if I could have just died in Egypt. Now remember, this is when, remember the spies come back. They spied out the land. They came back 
Ten of them gave a report of, we can't take the land. You got the Jebusites, the Hittites, the Amalekites. You've got all these individuals. We're like grasshoppers in their sight. They're fortified. Now the city, now, now the land's exactly what God said. It is a land flowing with milk and honey. Look at all these great things we brought back. But there's no way that we can take the land. Now two of them said, yeah, we can. We, we can do that. We, we can do, because it's God the one that's going to do it. So now they've got to make a choice. Who are they going to side with? The, one who, the ones who sided with God and said, yes, we can take the land, or the ones who said we can't. Now they said, oh, we're going to die. It had been better if we just died in the wilderness or died in Egypt, because we're going to go over here and we're going to die. They're going to kill us. They're going to slaughter us. There's no way we could overtake this. I mean, think about it. Moses is doing everything that he can do. That was, a, a, I think, a great uh, a strategic military move, wouldn't it? Send out spies to spy out the land. Let's check it out and see what's there. You know who was there? Exactly the ones that God told Abraham at the very beginning was going to be there. there. There shouldn't be any surprises. God told them that's who's going to be there. And God had told them again. Remember, there, there's times in which God told him after he's on the land, he said, I'm going to go before you. I'm going to take care of the individuals here you know you're coming in don't say to yourself you did it to you for yourself we were talking about this in our Wednesday night Bible class when we think about God you know uh, uh, showing his wrath to an enemy it may not have anything to do with my righteousness it has something to do with their wickedness God doesn't forget the wickedness God knows what individuals do and he said it, it wasn't because remember he said it wasn't because of your righteousness it was because of their wickedness so God knows exactly what's going on. God knows exactly who's there. He knows exactly what he's going to do. So when they spied out the land and they seen it and said, oh, we're mere grasshoppers in their sight, then they're like, oh, we should have died in Egypt or we should have just died in the wilderness. Ain't no use crossing over there. We can't do it. Now, notice, all along God has took care of them. Now, did he make it, you, you, do you think their, their stomach ever growled? I believe it did. You think they were thirsty? I think they were. But I think that was the point. God, God took care of them, though. I mean, we could get into their clothes. We could get into their sandals. We could get into all the things that God did to take care of them during this time. And this is their attitude? But notice, all of this is directed to Moses. All of this, they're looking at him. You did this. You're the one that brought us out here. We should have died. And you should have just let us die. You know, why did you bring us out here for this? Could it be because they prayed to God for them to do it? Could it be that's what they wanted? Could it be that's what needed to happen? But they're forgetting all this. They think they were back at some resort. Oh, why'd you bring us out here? We had it made there, really. How'd them whips feel? How'd starvation feel? How'd them calluses on your hands feel? You don't remember any of that? No, they're so easily forget because you know what we do? All we think about is what's right in front of us. And all we look at is what's right in front of us. And if it's not what we think it ought to be, or if it's not as fast as we think it ought to be, or it's not the way we think it ought to be, we're going to look for somebody to blame. We're going to look for somebody to complain to. And Moses was the one. Moses was the one that they were looking at. So they're getting ready to cross over the uh, promised land. God's bringing them where he said to uh, that they would go, but yet they're still complaining. 
Notice what Paul says about this. He says we shouldn't do this. He tells us as Christians we shouldn't do it. If you look at 1 Corinthians 10, beginning at verse 9, he says, Nor let us tempt Christ. Now, he, he just got through giving a list about idolatry, fornication, of things they shouldn't be doing. Notice what he adds to the list. Nor let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted, and were destroyed by serpents, nor complain, as some of them also complained, and were, uh, were destroyed by the destroyer. Now all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our uh, admonition upon whom the ends of the age, the ends of the age are come. So he's saying here these things. He lists these things of, of what they shouldn't be doing, and part of them is tempting Christ. In other words, <coughs> putting God in our eyes in a position of, okay, what are you going to do about this? You know, put them, in, you know, kind of. Uh, uh, Agamon about doing something. And they're saying, here they are, and you don't need to complain about, look what happened to those individuals in the wilderness when they complained. Look what the destroyer did to them. You don't think that's serious? You don't think murmuring and complaining is a serious thing? How was it then in the wilderness? Was it pretty serious? See, God sees that. This isn't a little thing to God. You know, we can name off all these sins and we can go through this checklist of I, I, I don't murder, I don't steal, I don't commit adultery. I don't. We can go through all these biggies on here. We don't think anything about murmuring and complaining. We don't think anything about, you know, complaining about this or complaining about that. And how does that look? And that's what we're going to get into when it comes to Moses' frustration. How does this look? Not only to God, how does this look about God? Because isn't that what the world is seeing when they see us? Aren't we a reflection of that light? You know, uh, let your light so shine before men so they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. So it's not about us, but when we do things to make it about us, how's that looking when the world looks at us and see God? What are they seeing? Well, when, when they're facing this, as Paul was saying here, you see how that turned out for them, how do you think it's going to turn out to you? How, how do you think it's going to uh, work for you? How's that working for you? You see what happens in the, uh, uh, to them in the wilderness, you think anything different is going to happen to you now? Murmuring complaining is still as bad as it always has been. But notice, this is building up. Toward Moses, every time he turned around, it seemed like these people were nipping at his heels, and it got so bad at one point, here's what he says to God. Look in Numbers chapter 11, beginning at verse 11. So Moses said to the Lord, we have, uh, Why have you afflicted your servant? And why have I not found favor in your sight? That you have laid the burden of all these people on me. Did I conceive all these people? Did I beget them? That you should say to me, carry them in your bosom as a guardian carries a nurse's child to the land which you swore to their fathers? You know what Moses is saying? I didn't take them to raise. And that's, that's basically what he's saying, isn't it? He said, I, I, how can you... So here's all this complaining to Moses. You know what it's making Moses feel like? Now Moses is looking to God saying, they're saying to Moses, why have you done this to me? Moses is looking to God saying, why have you done this to me? They're complaining to Moses. Now Moses is complaining to God. He's taking the burden. He's taking the pain. He's taking all this criticism to heart. And he says, look what they're doing. He says, I, I, 
I didn't take them to do this. Why have you put this on me? Moses is looking at God like, why, why have you put this kind of burden on me? He, he's about to go back to excuses like he did. I can't handle this. This isn't for me. I, I, I can't do this. He could have went back to his list. Remember, I, I was slow at speech. Remember, I, I, I'm not very good. Remember, I couldn't. It's almost like he could have said, I told you I couldn't do it. I told you I couldn't do this. See, I guess he was thinking facing Moses was his biggest challenge. I think this is his biggest challenge. Or facing Pharaoh, rather, is his biggest challenge. I think this is. You know, he, he, he looked at that, how can I go against Pharaoh? Now it's like, I've got the whole nation here against me. Every one of them's looking to me. And this is what they're saying. So he's crying out to God now about this. It, it was really frustrating to him. And I think Moses' frustration got to the point that he'd had enough. And he was so annoyed and irritated, I believe, that uh, he did something that he shouldn't do. And I think it was all caused by his frustration. I think Moses got put in a situation that we find ourselves in to where we let our frustration build up till we do something that we realize we shouldn't have done. But you've done it. But, but you let it build up like a, like a fuse that's just, just burning and burning and burning. And if you don't put that fuse out, what's going to happen? It's going to explode. It's going to the point to that, that, that powder there where it's going to explode. And we've got to make sure we take care of it before it does that. But Moses didn't do it. Notice here in Numbers chapter 20, beginning at verse 8. This is what Moses, or God says to Moses when it comes to uh, the time when they were uh, thirsty for water once again. It says, Take the rod, you and your brother Aaron, gather the congregation together, speak to the rock before their eyes, and it will yield water. Uh, it will yield, yield its water. Thus you shall bring water for them out of the rock, and give drink to the congregation and their animals. Seems pretty simple, don't it? He tells him to speak to the rock. You speak to the rock, it's going to give you water. It's going to give the people water. It's going to give their animals water. So it seems like a, a, a pretty uh, simple thing. So Moses took the rod from before the Lord as he commanded him. And Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly, assembly together before the rock. And he said to them, Hear now, you rebels. Must we bring water for you out of this rock? Then Moses lifted his hand and struck the rock twice with his rod. And water came out abundantly, and the congregation and their animals drank. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not believe me to hallow me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I had given them. That's a pretty sad verse, isn't it? That, that's a devastating thing here. Um, now, there's several views about what Moses did wrong, and, and, and I think a lot of them are, are reasonable and true. Uh, the big one that any, basically any scholar that you find is Moses wasn't obedient to God. God told him to speak to the rock. He didn't speak to the rock. He hit the rock. But guess what? Water still came forth, didn't it? The, the people still drank, but now Moses, after dealing with this all of this time, leading these people, hearing these complaints, hearing these, uh, these murmurs, the, these people just at him constantly with going through all of that because he hit the rock and didn't speak to the rock, now he don't lead the people into the promised land. 
But see, I don't believe that that's just all the problem. I believe the problem lies here. Notice what Moses says. So Moses took the rod from before the Lord as he commanded him. Uh, Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock, and he said to them, notice what he says, Hear now, you rebels. Is Moses mad when he's doing this? Is he pretty upset? You know, he, he, his frustration has built up. That fuse has went so far, it's at that powder keg now. And he starts out and he says, Hear now, you rebels, must we bring water for you out of this rock? I think there's the problem. He didn't give God the glory for this. And God tells him this. You didn't hallow me before the people. You know what Moses said? They're, they're, they keep blaming him for what's going on. And now he's saying, we're the ones that's bringing you water. They wasn't bringing them water. God was bringing them water. But Moses in his frustration because they were murmuring and complaining and nipping in his heels the whole time. He's banged on this rock twice. Water comes from you know, comes out of the rock, now he says, we, we're bringing you water out of this. Who? Him and Aaron. What about God? What was God doing in this? See, Moses, just at that moment, thought about himself. He thought about how it was affecting him. He thought about everything that these people had done. I don't think, I kind of believe he didn't think they deserved the water. But he banged on it, and he said, basically saying, you don't deserve it, but we're giving it to you anyway. He's taking the credit. They put all the blame on him, so he's taking the credit for this, I think, because of all that frustration, and that's the problem. That's what happens when we get so frustrated, we take God out of the picture. When we get so frustrated, it becomes just about us, and God gets took out of the picture, and we do something wrong. We, we act in front of people, or we act... In, in a certain way where we shouldn't act because God's not getting the glory. We take God out of it. It's about us. It's about that we're mad, we're frustrated, we're upset. So here's what I'm doing and here's what I want out of this because, you know, we're frustrated with something we can't change. That's like we talked about in the beginning. That's what frustration is, the definition. Something that you can't change and you get so frustrated with it that, that you explode. There's things happening in our life that... It feels like it's out of our control that we can't change and we get frustrated with it or something happens. Now, there's different kinds of frustration. There's frustration when somebody cuts you off in a car. You know, there's little frustrations that we all get frustrated with. Somebody cuts you off, uh, you go out to mow your yard and your lawnmower's got a flat tire or it won't start or something. And so you're just frustrated because you, you didn't plan on doing this, So, but now you've got to do this when you want to be doing this or... Somebody makes you late for work or, or somebody cuts you off and they didn't give you the extra two seconds that you need, uh, that you thought you needed on the way to work. And, or you're, you're tailgating them that you think they're going too slow. And then so you fly around them. The next thing you know, you look over and they're sitting at the same red light you are. So you're not getting anywhere any faster. You know, I, you know these are the little frustrations, right? They're big to us at the time, but they're just little frustrations. But what happens when we get the big frustrations? And we get that big frustration to where we just kind of explode. We just, just can't take it anymore. Then what happens? I think we do something like Moses. We do something and we go against God. We're not showing God's glory. We're showing ourselves and there's consequences for that. That's what the world is seeing. Now you think about this. That, that seems pretty harsh with God saying, 
I'm not going to let you lead the people in because of this. But you think about Moses, one, being disobedient because he didn't do what God said to do. But you look at it, two, to where he didn't hallow God as holy like he should. And the position that Moses is in, you, you think about the law of Moses, you think about Moses leading them. Moses starts compromising with God now. How's that going to look or how's that going to affect what God has in plan? It affected more than we think, won't it? Do we think about that as Christians? Do we think about how we act to the world even when things frustrate us and they may seem legitimate to us? When somebody complains or something happens and we think, I've got a legitimate beef here. I, I, I've got a right to be upset. I've got a right to be frustrated. But yet when this something happens and then we react in a certain way, I don't think the problem is frustration. I think that's a natural process to get frustrated at times. It's how we deal with that. That's what the issue is. Because it doesn't only reflect us, it reflects God. And Moses here, that's the position that he was put in. But like I said, how do we, you know, it's the little frustrations that we deal with, but how do we deal with the big ones? I had a situation happen one time in, in buying a car. Thought I got a good deal on a car. I did get a good deal on a car, I thought. Then I found out that night the car had a little something wrong with it that I didn't look at like I should. Certified used car, thought everything was going to be good. Take it back to the dealer the next morning, tell them, because I already looked up this part on YouTube, $20 part. Just a little actuator is what it was. That, that's all it was. So I'm, I'm going back to, to get them to look at it. A couple salesmen out there, they said, I told them why I was there. They said, oh, you're the one. And I said, I'm the one what? You're the one we had a meeting about this morning because you got such a good deal on the car that you shouldn't have got. They shouldn't have quoted you. The, the salesman shouldn't have quoted you what he did. And I said, well, I thought I got a good deal, but that's, that's here or there. I need to see somebody about fixing this. So the manager comes out and he says, you got such a good deal on the car, we're not going to fix that. I said, oh, really? You're not going to fix this? Certified vehicle, you're, you're not going to fix this. No, you got too good a deal on the car. You can give the car back. You've got three days you can do that. They want the car back, really. So I wasn't going to do that. Oh, it, it's principal now. It's $20, but to me it was principal. And I said, no, I, I want what you said you were going to get. So we went back and forth just a little bit. Long story short, they didn't do it. He said, I can give it to you at cost. You know, you can do it. I had a screwdriver in there. So I went and got the part at the parts place. I was going to go out and just put it on myself there in the parking lot. But as I was walking out, I seen that manager sitting there with two individuals. So I went over and I put the part down on the table and I said, for $20, you've lost my business and every single person I could tell. I said, I told them two people, I said, I wouldn't buy a car here. I said, their service is awful. I mean, I, 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 I ranted for a pretty good while here, you know, to a point where they were willing to get up and leave. So I go home, I'm feeling pretty proud of myself that I stood up for what was right and then told my wife what I did. My wife said, should you have done that? How did that look? You know, those people, all they seen that you were mad and how you were acting. And so now I was feeling pretty proud. Now I feel about that big. So what do I do? I get back in the car. I go back to the dealership. Luckily, the couple's still there. I talked to the manager. I talked to the people that were there. I apologized. I, you know, did everything I could. I said, I'm sorry that I, you know, got so upset, you know. But that's what happens when he gets frustration. There's consequences. You for, we forget that it's not about us, 
It's about what we represent. And when we do that, even if we think we're right, sometimes we just think we're right and we've got to prove that to someone else at whatever cost that is. But sometimes that cost is pretty high. That cost becomes sin. And the wages of sin is death. And we have to make that right. So I, I had to go, I had to make that right. I made it right. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I did, I did. I made it right. Luckily, the people, all the people that was there were still there. So, but the point I want to make is, what do we do with the big frustrations? What do we do when we think it's principled, we think it's right, and we'll do anything to prove that, and we get so upset because somebody's not doing something like we think they should do it. You know, we complain like the uh, children of Israel did, and we murmur and we complain and we complain because we want somebody to blame, or we're on the side where Moses is, we get so frustrated with individuals, then we do something and disobey God. There's consequences on both sides of that, aren't they? And we look and see uh, this when it comes to Moses. Uh, the point is this. I don't have too many more verses anyway, so it doesn't matter. Uh, the point is this. We, we see what happens here to, to Moses, but we've got to stop and think about when we get frustrated that it can lead to sinful behavior and the key is to look to God for guidance. And that's what was read uh, in our scripture reading. Philippians 4, beginning at verse 11, says, Not that I speak in regard to need, for I've learned that whatever state I'm in, to be content, I know how to be abased, I know how to abound everywhere, and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. See, that's how you keep from getting... Let your frustration get a hold of you. Do like Paul said, I've learned to be content in whatever situation that I'm in. Because I've realized it's not I that lives, but Christ that lives in me. That I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. So I, I put myself in the background. Christ is in the forefront. That's what the world needs to see. Not, not Ronald's little petty problems. Not Ronald's little uh, petty frustrations. But see how Christ says we should act and the things in which we should do. Now, let's go back to Moses, though. Somehow that doesn't seem fair, does it? doesn't seem fair that Moses doesn't get to lead people to the promised land. You think over one sin, over, over one thing here. You know, and, and I've heard people talk about that. What really became Moses? How did it really turn out? You know, what really happened. But look in Matthew chapter 17. It says, tell us now, begin at verse 1, tell us now, after six days, uh, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, led them up on a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with them. Then Peter answered said to them, Lord, it's not good for us to be here, if you wish, let us make here three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. So we see, what did Moses need that we need too? Jesus. You know, you think about the plan that God has, and you think about... Uh, 
what we need from the very beginning to the very end is the Son of God. Is Christ. That, that's what we need. That's what Moses needed. Now, no, Moses had consequences of not uh, leading the people in. But we see here where Moses ended up. So, we've got to assume that Moses made it right. We've got to assume that Moses still paid the consequences by not leading the people in, which we see that through Scripture. But what happens when we get frustrated? What happens when we don't act like we should? We don't say the things that we should. We don't do things the right way that we should. Remember, God's got to be our guide. And we need Jesus who can strengthen us through all things to get us through that. 